Welcome to Unlocked, a Jumpstart podcast where we examine innovation, venture capital, diversity and inclusion, economic development, and the power of entrepreneurship to transform communities from the inside out. I'm your host, Freddie Coffey, and today I have the pleasure of being joined with one of my very favorite colleagues here at Jumpstart, Heather Hall. Here at Jumpstart, Heather is entrepreneur in residence for software and IT, where she partners with and coaches entrepreneurs across Northeast Ohio on critical areas of the startup cycle, including fundraising and revenue generation. Heather, how are you? I'm good. I'm imp- I feel impressive. Wow. Thank you. <laughs> That's a big intro. So, um, Heather, first of all, thank you for, for being here and for doing the event that we are uh, about to listen to. You recently sat down with one of the entrepreneurs that we talk about here that you're working with, uh, Wa Piles McManus, who's the co-founder of Share, as part of our new Founders Unfiltered event series. Uh, so you work with a variety of entrepreneurs on a regular basis. What stands out to you about Wa and her entrepreneurial journey? So Wa and, and the Share team, honestly, are a really interesting model. For those of you that aren't familiar, Share uh, is microtransit. Wa and her husband, Ryan, started the company. And so not only is this a startup experience, this is a couple. Imagine working with your spouse, the space, the experience, all of the angst that goes through starting a company and then not being able to walk away. How do you balance it all? So we had a really interesting conversation about what that looks like, what it feels like, how to take care of yourself through it, how to not put a pillow over someone's face, you know, really important <laughs> life skills like that. Okay, so the event is called Founders Unfiltered. It's part of a new event series. And the reason that it's called that is because we're really searching for, or I guess, seeking transparency from these entrepreneurs. They have an honest, uh, story to tell that's not always glamorous, um, that's that's not always big wins and big money and all that kind of stuff. What stood out to you about the openness and honesty of, of Watt at this event and, and the things that you talked about? Well, thinking macro, a lot of times when you have people in these situations, you get a lot of textbook answers. And there was no textbook. It was very open to the point where conversations about accelerator to accelerator, dealing with pivots, dealing with the feedback of great team, crap idea, things like that. How do you become better from that? And so she was really open in how it felt, what it was like to live through that, how to deal with the emotions, how to balance the load. And at the end of the day, came out of it saying, here's my experience. Yours may not mirror it, but here's what you can learn from mine. And part of that experience sometimes includes McDonald's in a hotel room by yourself. <laughs> there, There is a life lesson to be learned in sitting on a hotel bed eating McDonald's french fries. So let's find out about what that means. Without any further ado, here is Heather Hall and Wa Piles McManus, Founders Unfiltered. Wapile McManus, who is one of the co-founders of Share. She'll give you a rundown on the company and what's going on. A couple of programming notes beforehand. So most of you are familiar with Jumpstart. It's part of a network here in Northeast Ohio that supports entrepreneurs, startups, both from a service and capital perspective. If you're looking for support, you can hit jumpstartinc.org 
top right corner, there is an apply form. Go in and fill out the, uh, the info to start chatting with us or our partners in the region like Bioenterprise, Bounce, Youngstown Business Incubator, Magnet, about how to get support on what you are doing, uh, potentially raising capital, getting networked in with different uh, entrepreneurs, that sort of thing. So I see a lot of familiar faces in the room, so I may skip over some of the, the high notes because uh, I know I know what you guys know. But um, the gist of this, this is going to be the first part of an ongoing series that is talking with founders about their experiences, getting going, uh, what it's like to build something from the ground up, experiences in fundraising, taking care of yourself, things like that. So we're going to be no holds barred tonight. We're going to be, our prep session was a little irreverent, so I will warn you about that now. So uh, just real quick for you on SHARE. So SHARE is a mobility company, uh, partners with organizations like uh, the Cleveland Clinic, um, St. Edwards High School, uh, senior centers, helping their associates get to where they need to go. Um, the focus is microtransit, how to coordinate and deliver folks as a service. Uh, people schedule and share rides, cost of the organization is less, it creates a better experience, ecological footprint. We're gonna talk about all that so I don't wanna steal any of the thunder. I can do a stuffy intro, but th there's nothing stuffy about us. So uh -huh. why don't you give the room a little bit who you are, a little bit about share, sure. why, how. Uh, so I'm Wa Piles McManus. I'm co-founder and chief of culture at Share. Um, and a little bit about my background is I actually have a healthcare background. I worked at the James Cancer Hospital um, for about 10 years. I did um, direct patient care. I cared for mostly acute leukemic patients, so I really got to know my patients really well. Um, they were on the unit for usually about a month to get their chemo treatments. So um, I really was able to develop myself personally there because of those relationships, which has really bled over into share and what we're doing. Um, there I saw a huge problem. I ended my career there in the emergency department. <clears throat> I was a patient advocate there. Um, and so I was really got to see what the social workers had to go through every single day, um, trying to discharge patients and staying within that budget of transportation. Um, some patients came so often that they ran out of bus cards and bus services to give to the patients. So um, that was a huge problem because then they would just sit around the emergency department all day and sometimes cause issues and then they would get readmitted and it was a whole big thing. Um, and so I'm, at, I'm also first generation in this country. Um, my mom is a Vietnamese refugee. She came over in 1980. Um, and so it's just me, her, my aunt, my three cousins here. So um, I think I have a little bit of a different perspective um, as well, being that first generation here. Um, and my mom, after she came, she actually resettled refugees um, like herself from all over the world. So she was out there getting transportation for them, housing, basic human needs for these folks. Um, and so that's where a lot of my servitude comes from, is from watching her grow, wa watching her as I grew up, um, really give back to the community that welcomed her um, with such open arms and providing opportunities um, to other people who are coming here as well. Um, born and raised in Columbus, um, and I have two little girls, they're five and seven. Um, my husband is also our CEO and co-founder, so that's another bucket. Um, if you'd like to label me that I can get thrown into as well, um, is that I'm co-founders with my spouse. So, um, yeah, that's a little bit about me.
There's a test later. You guys take notes. So you give the description. You give the overview of the company. Mm -hmm. But you know what you didn't give me? Oh, what? Where's your idea for this? Oh, yes. You started to No, I didn't ask you. So Sorry. You, you alluded to your experience with Servitude mm -hmm. and, and that focus. Sure. Specifically share. Yeah. Where did you guys come up so with? So I'll, I'll dive a little bit more into share and like what over what we do and then give you kind of the backstory of it. Share is a new solution for transportation. Um, we're a new category. So everything right now that's in the market is on demand. So the car sitting in your driveway, on demand. Uber and Lyft, on demand. The bus, it's going to come and pick you up. You know it's going to come. It's on demand. And so what Share it really is, is about those scheduled rides that you take every day that are, that are, you're going to your job, you're going to healthcare, or you're going to school. So 50% of all miles traveled on the road every day are going to those three things right there. So if we can, which we figured out, if we can get people to change their behavior and schedule that on in advance, right now it's 18 hours in advance on our platform. If you can schedule those rides in advance, you're taking cars off the road, which is our number one goal, because do you want to live in an LA? I don't think so. I don't think anyone here wants to live in an LA where you're in traffic for two hours every day. Um, and then we're also solving carbon emissions because we took those cars off the road. Um, and we all know with the climate strikes that happened last month and the Greta effect, you know, how people are really starting to understand that, you know, all these little tiny things that we think are tiny are actually adding up to a huge problem that everyone is facing. Um, and so those are really our is to get people to understand how important riding together is. Your car sits idle 95% of the time when you're at work. Um, and so just give it up for that part of your day. I'm not saying don't have a car, absolutely, for those other trips with your family and all that stuff. But if you're going to work, school, or healthcare, let's figure out how we can all schedule our lives just for a little bit around that so that we can all ride together. So... That's the basis of share. So how we got started. <clears throat> um, lots of serendipitous, serendipitous events have led up to where we are today. Um, and so this is actually my second startup. Uh, Ryan and I started a marketing agency um, in 2012. And so what we were doing there was we were helping entrepreneurs launch their product and get their first customers. And we were doing it through, at that time, which was like brand new crowdfunding. So we figured out how to reverse engineer crowdfunding. And we raised a little bit over $500,000 $500, for our, um, all of our customers total. So that was a really good learning experience for us one, to see if we could work together as husband and wife. I still had my full-time job at the hospital at the time. So nights and weekends, I spent doing customer service, customer relations, sell, selling, whatever that needed to be done. Um, and then it was in 2016 that we were kind of like, what are we going to do that's not a services business that we can build for ourselves it also impacts the community. And it was right around that time that um, one of our friends was living in Portland, Oregon. And he was like, hey, I'm the entrepreneur in residence at Jaguar Land Rover. And <clears throat> they don't have enough applications. It was a brand new tech incubator that Jaguar Land Rover had started. And so they weren't having enough applications. And so he was like, oh, can you just submit one of your portfolios and help my friend out, the manager. And we were like, oh, no, 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 no. 
absolutely not. This is a huge opportunity for us because we had actually already started doing some research into the automotive world because we were really intrigued about autonomous vehicles and what those looked like in the future. Um, and Tesla's had just come out at that time. And so it was, it was a big upswing in the automotive world. Now we're kind of in this weird downswing within the automotive world. And so we were like, well, we're marketers. What is that going to look like when everyone is a passenger? When you get into that autonomous vehicle, what is that experience going to feel like? And so that's what we pitched to them. That was our concept idea. We hadn't incorporated. We had no team members, just he and I. And I was still at my corporate job. So I was like, there's no way. There's absolutely no way we're going to get in. Two people from the Midwest, you know, West Coast mentality is so different than it is out here. And so I didn't ignore it. I mean, I helped, but like, I was like, it's not going to happen, whatever. So I just kept putzing along and, you know, Ryan, he calls me and he's like, we got into the next round. I was like, oh, what? Oh, okay, sweet. Um, so then, you know, they did an interview with the both of us and asked us a bunch of questions. And, and then, um, a week later they were like, you're, you're in, congratulations. You need to be here in 30 days. And we were like, who now? What now? Okay. I was still at my job. We had a house. We just had a baby. Like it was like a whole thing. And so in 30 days, um, we packed up our house, packed up our children and drove to Portland, Oregon. I quit my job, um, and drove out to Portland, Oregon. It was five days to get out there with two, two kids who were, uh, four and turning two at the time. Um, so that was fun. Um, and they're actually really great. Um, and so we went out there and it was really scary. Ending that addiction to a paycheck. I was just talking about that with Sean just a little bit ago. Um, ending that addiction to a paycheck and all the things that come, the benefits that come with it. Um, that was probably the most, um, it was, I was full of fear. You know, being a mom already with two little children, um, you know, not knowing when the investment from Jaguar Land Rover was coming in either. They never gave us a deadline. Um, and so we went out there and we didn't have a house. We lived in a one bedroom Airbnb with our other teammates who uh, there were seven of us because one brought his girlfriend, one brought his cousin. And we all lived in a one bedroom Airbnb for about two weeks until we could find a house to rent that would fit all of us and the kids. Um, so that was a really nerve-wracking time, and we actually ended up taking out personal loans to be able to pay for everything for our team. Um, so that was really uh, a crazy time living in one bedroom with all of these people and two little kids. Um, and it's just, it's not the typical way to start a business, I know, but I think that it's important to talk about that type of stuff because it's not always going to look the same for every entrepreneur and it's okay if it looks different. Um, and I think that's something that I think you're going to ask me a question about later of like, not every journey is going to look the same. And some of those journeys um, really test you. And so you learn from those situations and hopefully what you've learned, you can apply later to it. So um, that was a crazy experience. And then do you want to talk about the first day too? Because I know that's one of the questions on there or. Yeah. And okay. Just real quick. Did you guys catch when she went out there, when. And Ryan went out. What were they doing? What was their idea? 
Yep, being a passenger in an autonomous vehicle and what that experience would look like, right? So we were thinking about what ads would look like inside the vehicle. So um, obviously that's not what we are today. So you cannot be married to your idea. I mean, it's probably a great idea, but you can't be married to it because when you once you do that, we've pivoted three times this is our third pivot. And we've learned something every time we've pivoted. Um, and so... You just can't be married to that idea because in the end, when you end up pivoting to something that doesn't look like what you thought in your mind, it can be a soul crushing uh, experience for you. Definitely. And so, you know, the first time that we pivoted, I definitely felt that I was like, oh, man, I failed and I failed hard. And in reality, I really didn't fail. I was actually mentally preparing myself to do something even harder now. There's a lot of talk right now about how the automotive is transforming. It is probably one of the most disrupted industries in, in the States. Mm -hmm. You've got GM saying they're a mobility company now. They're thinking they're about on strike. Exactly. how they serve ads in cars, how they monetize the experience, autonomous cars, electric cards, mm -hmm. or cars, cards, <laughs> long day. Um, the, the, the big three buying ride sharing, investing in ride sharing. So there's and killing it. natural disruption. Mm -hmm. And then you have a traditional company like Land Rover Jaguar who yeah. is thinking innovation. Mm -hmm. And along come you two with no logistics background, no automotive background saying, hey, mm -hmm. let's have a go at this. So yeah. talk a little bit about the experience at Land Rover Jaguar and what you went through. Yeah. So I think my first point will be if you have the opportunity to participate in an accelerator or incubator that comes with some funding, absolutely do it. Um, it helps you fail without like owing people a ton of money um, or learn really quickly too. So, um, you know, the first day we walk in there and we are like revving to go. We're like, we're from the Midwest. We're going to prove them wrong. It's going to be awesome. Um, and we get into that meeting and they're like, you guys are a great team. We invested in your team, but your idea sucks. And we were like, who, what, wait, why, why did you invite us here? And they were like, yeah, you guys are thinking too big. It's too far in the future. Mm -mm. Do something else. I just quit my job and moved across the country. Seriously. So we were definitely walked out of that meeting with our hands dragging on the ground because we were just so it was it was it was a kick, you know, to our gut. And so we go back to our little office and we're all sitting there and we're like, well, what do we do now? And so we ended up taking a walk around Portland because we were just so upset. And so we really had to reset our mind and what we were thinking about um, because JLR, they just weren't in that mode of thinking that far ahead. And that's the issue with automakers is that they see these wild dreams so, so far out, but they've already invested billions of dollars on whatever project they're working on right now that they just can't even help or think that far. Um, and so JLR um, taught us a lot about the automotive industry, which is why I think now we can talk to it so well too, because we had to sign some NDAs and then they told us some processes about the automotive world. And we were like, oh, that's why you're so slow get it now. Um, and so 
that's when we was our first pivot. Um, what we heard from them is we don't know what people are doing in the vehicles. And we're a luxury brand and we're not going to put DVD players into our vehicles like Honda. And so we were like, okay, well, that's a demographic we can cover, the kids. What do we do for kids? And so this was really at the time where like YouTube was going under a lot of fire for inappropriate content, inappropriate ads towards kids. And so we were like, all right, let's do something entertainment for the children in the background, in the back seats while the parents are driving because kids are actually more distracting than your phone. So if you have any kids, you know, you're yelling at them in the back seat and stuff. So, um, so we ended up creating an app called Neptune. And the reasons why it was different was because it hosted all STEAM and STEM content. So it was, we built the player. And so the really other cool part that differentiated us from a few other STEAM and STEM apps were we actually got to integrate it into the vehicle. And so we were able to control iPads that were in the back seat through the infotainment screen. So we were able to pause, skip, and lock the app through the vehicle. Um, and then the parent also got a parent portal on their phone. So if they were out and the kids were at home or whatever, they could see how much con um, what content the kids were watching, how much they had already watched, and then they could lock the iPad that app um, remotely. So that was kind of how we differentiated ourselves. And so demo day came. We had to get it to work, and thank God it worked. We were able to pause the content, lock it, and skip it right in the back seat. Our kids were the test dummies and the video actors for it, so it was really cool. Um, they got a little airtime, you know, with JLR um, in the back seat with that. So um, that's what came out of our six months there. We also learned a ton about development. Um, we had zero idea what it took to develop an app, and after that, I had so much appreciation for people who code and who do product management and all of the man hours that go into it for Q&A testing and, and all of that stuff too. So after six months, we moved back. You moved back, but I don't hear Cher yet. Nope, not yet. Because then we didn't even start on Cher when we got back either. We were like, all right, we're developing Neptune, but to be a media company, They've been around for 50 years, Walt Disney, Turner, Orchard, all of those media companies. We would call them and ask them for content. And being a startup, they were like, yeah, it's $700,000 to license it. And I was like, what? Worse. Did you hear startup in there anywhere when we were telling you about these things? We're testing out something new here. And, you know, what are you supposed to do with that? Like, they wouldn't even have a conversation with us at that point. Um, and so... When we got back, um, they knew that we had some develop. JLR had knew we had some development under our belt, so they introduced us to a company out in Boston called Shepherd. And what they were doing was school transportation for kids in Newton, um, which is like a very affluent neighborhood out in Boston. Um, and they were using they were also a cohort in the incubator, and they needed some help with their app. They needed so they introduced us, we bid on it, we won. And so we were like, now we're developing apps for transportation companies. And so we started to do that and we learned a ton from those folks, um, what to build, what not to build, what worked, what didn't work. Um, and they were actually using Land Rovers to take their pick their kids up and 
take them around town. I was like, that's fancy. Who's, who's giving you guys a line of credit? Woof. Um, and so uh, we built that for them and they opened up their doors and they started transporting kids using our app. It was really cool to see it. We went out there um, to visit with them just to do some um, observations and everything like that. And so we were like, and then at, during that point, we were taught, we were doing even more research about where the automotive world was going because now Uber and Lyft were out. Um, you know, there was nothing about micromobility at all, scooters, anything like that. Nothing like that was out until we were like, all right, let's build apps for transportation companies. That sounds like a good way to go. Um, and so after we built that, um, they would come back and they'd say, you know, oh, we're having issues with this or this doesn't work the right way and we need it to do this. And we're like, OK, yeah, we'll fix all that stuff. And what we really soon came to realize was that um, we wanted to do this in Ohio and figure out and not be so niche where it was just students. They were only transporting students. And so. We were like, all right, here comes another pivot. We can feel it. And at that point, we had gotten to another accelerator. Um, we got into the Smart City Accelerator through Singularity University um, out in California. So they brought the accelerator to Columbus. And so at that point, we were like, let's, let's make a new scheduled transportation because we saw at that point everything was on demand. And so we got into this accelerator. It came with a little bit of cash and we started it. They gave us mentors and everything like that. And that's really when we solidified what SHARE is today. And that was really the accelerator, no pun intended, um, to get us to where we were. That was September of 2017 that that accelerator started. Um, and there was nine other people in our cohort as well that had smart city solutions. And so very quickly, we started building the app and we realized we really needed to operate it too, which was unheard of because Uber and Lyft, they don't own the cars. The drivers aren't their employees. And so we quickly started to realize that if we wanted to control the entire experience for the people that we were serving, we had to become the operator as well. And so... Ryan and I took out two personal guarantees on two vehicles, and we started driving. He and I drove the majority, and then we ended up hiring five drivers um, after a couple months to help us out a little bit. And um, that driver, the first driver we ever hired, still works for us today. Um, so she's, she's awesome. She's great. And so from being on the operations side of it, now we got to see what we had to put into the product and what we had to grow in the product and grow quickly and make those same mistakes that we did for the other company and fix it with our product. So we try to productize as much as possible um, right now. So we're a software and we're the operator. And that's an interesting dynamic that you call out. So, you know, to the point, Uber, Lyft, that's, that's a contractual relationship, right? I can do as little or as much as I want, but I have no accountability fundamentally yes. to the company. You're breaking that model and you're doing it very intentionally. So yes. talk a little bit about the thinking of the team 
Yep. And it is a team mm-hmm. and the culture behind it. Yeah. So with my role, chief of culture kind of all encompasses all everyone, HR, people, all that good stuff. Um, and, you know, I didn't want to just build a company that had a great service, but I, I wanted to build a company that was trusted, number one. Um, safety is our number one um, KPI that we measure every single week and we report it every single week to our drivers. Um, And I also wanted to make it a world-class experience um, for all of our customers because without that trust, we don't have any customers. And that was really big. And so we pay a living wage. We offer benefits to our full-time employees. Um, There's actually a really great story. One of our drivers um, came to us and she was actually living in a homeless shelter. And now she's going to go get her first apartment in years next week. Um, So it's stuff like that that I feel like people are are forgetting, right? And Uber and Lyft, you know, those drivers, when I get into those vehicles, I always ask my questions. How long you been doing this? How do you like it? Um, And they think that that $1,000 that gets deposited into their bank account every week is like awesome. And I'm like, all right, well, how much do you pay in insurance? And I'm like, oh, I don't know, 50 bucks, whatever. Well, how much do you pay for gas every week? Oh, 200 bucks. Okay. Well, how often are you getting oil changes? Oh, every month. Cause you're driving thousands of miles. Oh, okay. Well, when you're driving it, you know, when you're driving around waiting for work, how much, how much are you getting paid? Well, nothing. Oh, okay. My drivers get paid no matter what. As soon as they clock in that deadhead time, they're getting paid. And they're not putting wear and tear on their vehicles. And they're not paying for insurance. And so the people side of it for me is so important. Because then we get to experience, we get to control that experience. We, we pick up kids as young as four. And then we, do, we also pick up seniors. And so you, it's not the right size fits all for every, every demographic. You really have to find that person who loves to talk to seniors. Because if you have any senior people in your life, they love to talk and tell you about their day. And, you know, they become attached to our drivers. If our driver doesn't show up and there's a sub that day, they get kind of upset. And they're like, where's Ron? And we're like, oh, Ron's sick. I'm sorry. You know, they get very attached to these people. And that's what's going to make people pick share over other brands is because we really do care about the people and we want to change neighborhoods and we want to bring transportation and bridge the gaps um, for the people who don't have access to transportation that could take them out of generational poverty, that could take them to a better, higher paying job that's not on the bus line maybe. And so that's why getting employers to buy this program for their employees, especially the entry level ones, is so important. And that's usually how we start a pilot with people is we ask for people who make less than $30,000 a year and who live in neighborhoods, in zip coded neighborhoods um, that are um, in poverty because we want to target those people first and give them the opportunity first to get to work. They're usually the ones that are fired because they're late all the time because they don't have reliable transportation. Um, And Sometimes those businesses aren't on the bus line. And so if you really care about your people and you want to show your people that you care, 
you're going to take off that question that says, do you have reliable transportation? And you're going to change it to, do you need transportation? And if they check that yes box, you sign them up for share. One of the things that's been interesting to me as I dug in and did research and, and really thought through it, a lot of the the transit solutions right now, you know, whether it's Uber or Lyft, um, the first mile, last mile solutions, they're targeted to a very specific yes. demographic. And mm -hmm. it's not that profile that you're talking about yeah. at all. It's not equitable. It's right? not at all. And so you're you're talking about a very different model. Mm -hmm. You're very attractive in what I would say are the Midwestern cities that don't yep. have the infrastructure and things yep. like that. But that's a very different story to tell not only to a company but mm -hmm. to an investor yes how do you craft that story to be compelling to let you know let's give her credit your funding's almost all from the state of ohio too or yes, entities within is. ohio yeah. mm -hmm. so how do yeah. you get a very traditional conservative dare i say stodgy <laughs> group uh, yeah i said stodgy. they're not here are they no i'm just gonna now they'll yell at me tomorrow. Um, don't tell on us nick <laughs> He's recording. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's really being able to craft the story for the investor that you're talking to. Um, a lot, most of them do not like that we have people and that we have assets, and that's okay. Um, that's fine. That's their opinion. But when it comes to it, at the end of the day, it's my company, and um, I want to help my community. And crafting that story for them to get them to understand takes a lot of meetings to, for them to get that. And, you know, it might not always be like this. We could always use a third party operator that runs the share standard. You know, if we want to go to Plano, Texas, for example, and we hire a third party operator, will they flip over to us? And we give them the app and then we give them all of the telematics that we use in our vehicles so that they can track safe driving. So I loosely say franchise because franchising is not great, but um, it would be something like that, you know, where we would have transparency into everything that they do. And so that would be something that is very attractive for some people, some investors, but, you know, Luckily, we've our investors that we have now, they get that part of it and they understand why it's important. But some of those West Coast investors that we've talked to, they don't like it. And you know what? Maybe they're not a good fit for us then. And that's OK. The entrepreneur journey is a lonely journey. Yes, it is. And I say this to the woman who's married to her co-founder. It's a lonely journey. Before I get serious, I do have one goofy question. Who wins when you argue? <laughs> so we actually don't argue. Um, that has been a very unique part of our relationship is uh, we're very open and very communicative about every emotion, whether it's good or bad, um, that happens between us. And so we usually, I, I usually show my, my side and, you know, not to be, rude to the men in here or anything. Your brains are a little different when it comes to solving problems. <laughs> and, uh, you know, once I usually, you know, tell him my side, he's like, well, I never thought about it like that. And I'm like, well, how can we mesh those two things together? And then usually we get something spectacular. In all seriousness, though, it 
Entrepreneurship is very glamorized. So, oh my gosh, for, unbelievable. What's a, what do you do on a bad day? I know what I do on a bad day, but you have a tough day. You need to walk away. How do you walk away? It's home, it's work, it's, it's everywhere. It's hard. It's really hard. And that's that's why Ryan and I have very good communication skills when it comes to stuff like this. It's definitely not for everybody. And, like, no judgment if you can't do it. Like, who cares? It just didn't work. Um, but we both have found out that um, time, I'm an only child, by the way, too. So uh, I like to be alone and not everyone touching me and talking to me all the time. You're an only child, too, right? Yep. Yeah, you get it. So um, because of that, I schedule time alone. I really I put it on the calendar and I say, please respect my time alone. And maybe it's sitting in a hotel room by myself and eating McDonald's on the bed. I don't know. I have done that before. Um, <laughs> but it's really, but on the flip side of that, it's scheduling time alone with your partner as well. Like I said, we have two kids and um, life gets cha chaotic and, and, you know, life happens. Life happens. And so scheduling that time to also just be alone and be yourself and not talk about the business is super important. We try to do that um, at least two or three times a quarter where we go off and, you know, go on vacation or rent a hotel room downtown and do whatever we want. Um, we've also found out um, that working out is huge. So we actually have now are now addicted to working out which I'm very happy to say that's great addiction. Um, it's really, once you get physically tired, you can finally kind of rest your brain too. And so I guess I kind of knew they were always connected, but now that I've really gotten into it, um, and I don't do it like every day or anything. I only go like two or three days a week. Um, but when I go, I go to a class that's very difficult. So I know I've really like, burned a lot of calories and I feel good about that. You know, I like to see tangible things. So that's why I have a watch so I can, you know, see my calories I burned and stuff. But like that connection between your physical and your mental and emotional, um, that has really been brought to the forefront for me personally. I didn't realize how interconnected that really was. And it's just another, another form of getting all this like energy out too. Right. And then you, f you look good and you feel good. So those all go hand in hand. If we were to ask your kids, what do mom and dad do? Um, the seven-year-old would be able to tell you that they're building a company where for everyone's a passenger. The seven-year-old is very in tune with what we do. She actually saw a share van when she was on the bus one day and she like got off the bus and she's like, we saw a share van. And all my friends were like, what share? And she was like, it's my parents' company. And she was so excited. It like melted my heart, right? Um, the five-year-old lives in her own world. <laughs> she's a hippie, uh, but she knows we run a transportation company. Parting thoughts. Looking back on the journey, last five or six years. Mm -hmm. What is the one thing you wish you knew? I cur I didn't prep her so for this many. One. Yeah, this one was not prepped. Um, <clears throat> I think some mistakes that a lot of startups make, including us, um, get yourself a good accountant in the beginning. That is probably the number one thing we should have done. Um, get yourself, if you're going to be dealing with people, 
get yourself like just an HR consultant. Um, that was really big. That was something we did day one, really, when we came back to Columbus was figure out the HR portion because we knew we were going to have a ton of people. So if you're building a business with a lot of people, definitely get that in line. And, you know, because you probably don't know anything about labor laws. So um, get yourself a labor law attorney. If you're going to deal with people, that was probably the best gift we've given to ourselves. Uh, he's so expensive, but he's so amazing. Um, just to look over contracts and stuff like that too. I mean, that is like to make sure your contracts are ironclad and you know that you're not putting language in there that puts you at risk. That's a huge one. Um, looking back on it, um, another thing is I wish, I always knew that I was a strong person. But being strong and having grit are two different things. Um, if you're like at the beginning, it's a lonely journey, like you said, and there's a lot of imposter syndrome that creeps in and it still creeps in a lot of the time. And I didn't know what that was. And after I learned what it meant and what it was, I was able then to kind of tame it. And I was able to just be like, oh my gosh, come on. You know you're way better than that. And you're way stronger than that. And yeah, you just lost like 20 grand. Um, but what'd you learn? What'd you learn? Don't do that again. That was dumb. That was real, real dumb. Um, and I think that having that grit and that perseverance is just such a big part of being an entrepreneur. And it's not at all glamorous. I stay up thinking about P&Ls and what payroll is going to look like in the next three weeks. And, you know, what if that van breaks down again? How much is that going to cost me? So um, there's just a lot of things that kind of creep into your mind and having the right team members and the right people around you. And I think the other thing is sometimes that co-founder has just kind of worn their time there. And when is it okay to let them go? Or that executive that's there with you too, um, you know, they came, they cleaned up what they needed to clean up and it's time for you to part your ways. And being okay with that and being okay with um, people having, you know, their time at your company, whether it be five years or two months, if you brought them in to do a job they, and they did that job, it's, it's so detrimental to hold on to them for you and for them because they could have missed out on some big opportunities that you were holding them back from. Um, so that's been a really hard lesson for us as well. So. so if we were to summarize, open and healthy communication. Yes. Bring in the talent when you know you need the it. The right talent, yep. Take care of yourself. Eat McDonald's on hotel beds. Yes, by yourself. <laughs> Only children. By yourself. Only children have this one figured out. We'll yes, we'll consult we do. For that. So, well, thank you. Thank, thank you. you for the transparent, open conversation. Sure. It's I'm great. Always. And uh, as we promised, we're going to continue to do this as we go. Every other month, uh, conversations like this, very open, very honest. Goal is to, as Karen said, have this detailed depth of conversation. So, thanks to Mark Garden for the space. Thank you uh, for thanks for having the me. The time. first one. 
Oh, Yikes. Your bar, the bar is very high. Oh, I don't know very about that. High. That's why they put us on high chairs. Oh, okay, gotcha. So. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the very first episode of Unlocked, a Jumpstart podcast. We've got so much more in store for the show and you in the coming year, so be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. For more great content like this, including entrepreneur insights, thought leadership on venture development, success stories, and so much more, visit Jumpstart on our website at jumpstartinc.org. That's jumpstartinc.org.